Ezekiel chapter 31. We're going to look at chapter 31 and 32 this evening. And uh, it's about the fall and lamentation of the Pharaoh of Egypt. In chapters 31 and 32, these chapters finish the section covering the judgment of Egypt stated in chapter, or started in chapters 29 through 32. Ezekiel spends four chapters on Egypt. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the minor prophets also dealt with Egypt. Now here in chapter 31, we see the fall of Pharaoh and his subjects. And verses 1 through 9 give the, great, the, the greatness and the glory of Pharaoh in Egypt. Verses 10 through 14 give the fall of Egypt using the parable of the tree. Verse 15 and 18 give the lamentation over the fall of the tree and the crisis that came uh, to the nations of the world because of it. So verses 1 through 9, as we begin, covers the fall of Egypt and Assyria. So let's read chapter 31, verses 1 through 9. And it says, Now it came to pass in the eleventh year, in the third month, on the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, say to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his multitude, Whom are you like in your greatness? Whom are you like in your greatness? Indeed, Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon with fine branches that shaded the forest and of high stature, and its top was among the thick boughs. The waters made it grow. Underground waters gave it height with their rivers running around the place where it was planted and sent out rivulets to all the trees of the field. Therefore, its height was exalted above all the trees of the field. Its boughs were multiplied and its branches became long because of the abundance of water as it sent them out. All the birds of the heavens made their nests in its boughs. Under its branches, all the beasts of the field brought forth their young. And in its shadow, all great nations made their home. Thus, it was beautiful in greatness and in the length of its branches because its roots reached to abundant waters. The cedars in the garden of God could not hide it. The fir trees were not like like its boughs, and the chestnut trees were not like its branches. No tree in the garden of God was like it in beauty. Here, uh, I think I just got two pages of one. Yeah, it's stuck together. (laughs) Verse 9. I made it beautiful with a multitude of branches so that all the trees of Eden envy it that were in the garden of God. So in verses 1 through 9, Ezekiel prophesied against the Pharaoh the king of Egypt. In chapter 17, there's the parable of the cedar, which is about the king of Assyria, and it told about the pride and the fall of that nation. Describing rulers as trees was a common way of writing in the Near East, and describing people as trees trees is also found in biblical passages. This parable starts out by describing the fall of the king of Assyria, who's compared to a mighty cedar tree of Lebanon, verse 3 says. The cedars of Lebanon were known for their height and their durability. They were strong trees, tall trees. These trees uh, trees grew taller than all the other trees, a symbolic reference to Assyria's former position of world power. It was nourished by many waters, according to verse 4, which symbolize the nations under Assyria's control that helped her to gain their wealth. These nations are also symbolized by birds, 
that nested in the cedar, verse 6 tells us, and the beast that had security and became dependent because of the tree, which was Assyria, verse 6. This tree was a model of beauty and greatness for everyone to see, verse 7 tells us, and none of the cedars in the garden of God could match it, verse 8 says. The garden of God is a reference to Eden, but it also represents the whole world order as originally created by God. Assyria was the greatest nation in world history up to the point of its rise as a leading world power. And the point of the image of the tree in verses 3 through 9 is to present the incomparable splendor and power of Egypt. There was no other nation like it at the time. The Lord allowed Israel, Assyria, I'm sorry, Assyria to become great because the Lord had a work for Assyria to do. The northern kingdom of Israel rebelled against the Lord. So the Lord used the Assyrians to discipline Israel and to conquer their land. In the days of King Hezekiah, the Lord used the Assyrians to discipline the kingdom of Judah, that is the south, uh, southern kingdom, but he didn't allow them to take Jerusalem. God is sovereign over the nations. He's able to use even pagan peoples to accomplish his purposes, and we've seen that in the past. No other kingdom could compare with Assyria. Ezekiel uh, said that, that even the cedars and other trees in the Garden of Eden were of no significance in comparison to Assyria, according to verses 8 and 9. But you see, it was the Lord who made Assyria beautiful and great, 9 tells us. Yet the Assyrians did not recognize or acknowledge this fact. And then verses 10 through 18 covers the fall of Assyria and Egypt. Let's look at verses 10 through 18. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have increased in height and, it's, and it set its top among the thick boughs and its heart was lifted up in its height. Therefore, I will deliver it into the hand of the mighty one of the nations and he shall surely deal with it. I have driven it out for its wickedness and aliens, the most terrible of the nations, have cut it down and left it. Its branches have fallen on the mountains and in all the valleys. Its boughs lie broken by all the rivers of the land and all the peoples of the earth have gone from under its shadow and left it. On its ruin will remain all the birds of the heavens and all the beasts of the field will come to its branches so that no trees by the waters may ever again exalt themselves for their height nor set their tops among the thick boughs that no tree which drinks water may ever be high enough to reach up to them. For they have all been delivered to death to the depths of the earth among the children of men who go down to the pit. Thus says the Lord God, in the day when it went down to hell, I caused mourning. I covered the deep because of it. I restrained its rivers and great waters were held back. And I caused Lebanon to mourn for it and all the trees of the field wilted because of it. I made the nation shake at the sound of its fall when I cast it down to hell together with those who descended who descend into the pit. And all the trees of Eden, the choice and the best of Lebanon, all that drink water were comforted in the depths of the earth. They also went down to hell with it, with those slain by the sword and those who were, who were its strong arm dwelt in its uh, shadows among the nations. To which of the trees in Eden will you then be likened in glory and greatness? Yet you shall be brought down with the trees of Eden to the depths of the earth. You shall lie in the midst of the uncircumcised 
with those slain by the sword. This is Pharaoh and all his multitude, says the Lord God. So verses 10 through 18, the phrase in verse 10, therefore thus says the Lord God, shows the division in this chapter. In this division, we see that Pharaoh is lifted up in pride, according to verse 10. Pride is, is it's in the human heart. And Pharaoh's greatness <clears throat> blinded him to the danger that he was in. He couldn't see the danger he was in. And pride blinds us. Pride does that to us. Pride is in the human heart. And now particularly because of a serious pride and misuse of their powers, God decided to bring judgment on them. They were the most ruthless nation in history. So God raised up the most ruthless, which is literally brutal, according to verse 12. He raised up the most ruthless, the most brutal nation against it, and it fell. All nations abandoned Assyria and left it to fall. No other trees, it says in verse 14, would ever reach such height, but God would send them all to the pit. On the day that Assyria went to the grave, God helped to bury her. Nations trembled. They mourned after they heard of Assyria's great fall. And it's going down to Sheol, or the place of the dead also, or hell. The allies went down with the cedar, and all the nations were comforted. Everything that's been said so far has made everything ready for the final blow here in verse 18. If Assyria, with all of its splendor and all its power and all of its greatness, couldn't escape the judgment of God, neither would Egypt. The same thing happened to Assyria. That, the same thing that happened to Assyria was going to happen to Pharaoh who would be Egypt's fallen cedar, according to verse 18. The story of the cedar takes us back to several familiar subjects that took place in the prophecies against the many foreign nations. First of all, God hates pride. He hates pride because it leads people and nations to ruin. Proverbs 16, 18 tells us pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The haughty spirit makes the head high. It carries the head high. The man looks upward instead of where he's walking. So then it's no surprise when he stumbles and falls. You see, if he doesn't see what's in front of him, he's going to stumble and he's going to fall. He loves to climb upward and the enemy is always ready to help him. Matthew 4, 5 and 6 says, remember, the devil took Jesus up, uh, you took him up into the city of Jerusalem. It says the devil took him to the highest point of the temple. And he said, Jesus, throw yourself off. You know, because God is going to send his, his angels to protect you. That didn't work. It says next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain. Notice, the higher he's going. Pride makes us look up. It, 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 it makes us feel like we're high and mighty. So the devil took him to the pinnacle of the temple, which was high, the highest point on the pinnacle of the temple. Now it says he takes him to the peak of a very high mountain, which is even higher now. And he said that, showed, that he showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he says, hey, I'll give it all to you, Jesus. All you have to do is kneel down and worship me. You see, the higher it is, the greater the fall. 
And there's something in the fall that speaks of God's judgment. God deals a crushing blow to the thing that the man is proud of. Remember what David did when he counted the people of the land? David was proud of how many people he had in his kingdom. He had over one and a half million people. He was warned, David, don't do that. Do anything else but, 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 but count your people. God told him not to. God didn't want him to depend on how many people was in his kingdom. He wanted David to depend upon him. And because of David's sin, 70,000 people died. You know, it tells us what one man's sin can do to others, whether it's intentional or unintentional. Because of David's sin, 70,000 people died. He decreased that one and a half million by 70,000 people because he sent a plague because of David's pride as punishment. And, and 70,000 died because of one man's sin. Hezekiah, remember he boasted about his treasure. And the Lord made sure that it was taken away. We have the, the, the story in, in Isaiah 39, 3-6. Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah. And he asked him, Hezekiah, what did those men want? Where were they from? And Hezekiah said, well, they came from the distant land of Babylon. What did they see in your palace? Isaiah asked him. And Hezekiah said, well, they saw everything that I had. I showed them everything that I own, all my royal treasures. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, listen to this message from the Lord of hosts. The time is coming, Hezekiah, when everything in your palace, all the treasures stored up by your ancestors until now will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. How about King Nebuchadnezzar? Daniel chapter 4. One day, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's out taking a walk on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon. And he looks across the city and he says, man, look at this great city of Babylon. He says, he says, by my own might, my own mighty power, he says, I have built this beautiful city. And he says, I built it as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. And even while, while, while King Nebuchadnezzar, these words were coming out of his mouth, it says a voice called down from heaven and said, Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, you are no longer ruler of this kingdom. God said, you are going to be driven from human society and you're going to live in the fields with the wild animals and you're going to eat grass like a cow. And for seven years, this is going to be your life until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone He chooses. In Acts chapter 12, King Herod, he was giving a speech to the people of Tyre and Sidon. And before he goes out, he, it says that Herod put on his royal robes he sat on his throne and he made a speech to them. And it says the people gave him an ovation, a great ovation. And they were shouting and saying, oh, it's the voice of a God and not of a man. Instantly, an angel of the Lord struck Herod with a sickness. 
because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving the glory to God. So it says he was consumed with words, worms and died. God doesn't mess around with pride. As Nebuchadnezzar was boasting about his kingdom and what he had done, as the words were still coming out of his mouth, God said, hey, you're done. Here's Herod. He's accepting this ovation and all the shout, and God strikes him. Strikes him down. The vain daughters of Zion, who were proud of their ornaments, their jewelry, their anklets, and all that they were wearing, they were, they were soon covered with disease. According to Isaiah chapter 3. Listen to what it says. The Lord says, Beautiful Zion is haughty, craning her elegant neck, flirting with her eyes, flirting, uh, walking with dainty steps, tinkling her ankle bracelets. So the Lord will send scabs on her head. The Lord will make beautiful Zion bald. Hey, whatever our pride is, hey man, it's our danger. And God will make us unable to enjoy it. Remember the repentant and broken tax collector? The repentant and broken tax collector was safe with God. You know, he pounded on his chest and he said, Oh Lord, I'm a sinner, forgive me. But remember the boasting Pharisee? Oh, I'm so glad I'm not like them. I'm, not, I'm glad I'm not a, a sinner like others. It's better... It's better than being more happy, more honorable, and more acceptable to God. And man is a humble spirit than a haughty spirit. Most men strive to rise, but very few desire to lie low, to humble themselves. Jesus came down in position in heaven. The heavens that he created... He steps down in order to do the will of the Father. And may our, may, may our Lord's example keep us humble. Bernard said, When majesty humbled himself, shall the worm swell with pride? And the Bible says men are worms. But if Jesus Christ humbled himself, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, shall the worm swell with pride? The second reason that God hates pride is that the mighty fall just like the weak. In other words, when the mighty fall, it's also a loss for the weak and dependent. And another reason that God hates pride is the fall of the tree was a reminder of the mortality of human beings and the individual accountability to God. The pride and the perversion of Egypt was its downfall. And their example is a warning that the same characteristics will bring down the, di- the, down, bring the downfall of, of any individual or any nation. And so for Judah, the message was just as devastating when they heard of the downfall of Egypt. If they had any hope that Egypt would save them from the Babylonians, Ezekiel had just said that their deliverer, that is the Pharaoh of Egypt, hey, he would fall. He's going to fall. So not only would Egypt be judged, but also Israel's last and false hope had failed them. And that's what happens when you put your your, your faith in man or anything else other than God. When Pharaoh got to hell, to Sheol, he found other rulers that had been killed were there too. He found out something else. 
There's equality in death. Death is the great equalizer. And it makes everybody the same. We hear a lot of people talk to you about how much uh, inequality there is. Hey, there's nothing that will bring to, uh, people together like death. <laughs> Make them all equal. The rich and the poor, the different ethnic groups of man, the male and the female, those at the top of the, and bottom of the social ladder. There's no partiality when it comes to death. And death is going to knock at everyone's door. Death doesn't care how old you are, how rich or poor you are, how influential or important you are. Death doesn't care what neighborhood you live in or whether you're good or bad. Death will bring all of us to the same level. Not only the placing of, of, of their bodies in the grave, but also their spirits. And probably one of the scariest things to some people will be the realization that they haven't died and it's the end. Many people think that when they die, they are going to cease existing. That, it will be, that it's going to be all over. Thinking there's no life after death. Well, they're going to be in for a big surprise. There will be great disappointment when they end up in hell. And for, for, for Pharaoh, he found out there were others there before him that had been killed. It will be quite a crowd of people who didn't believe that there was an afterlife or a judgment to come. They'll all be on the same level. Now, this is the only diversity, equity, and inclusion program that works. The spirits of all those who have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ are going to be there. And you know what? People don't go to hell because they're sinners. It's because they've rejected the, the wonderful gift of Jesus Christ as their Savior. God provided a way. He didn't want anybody to go. He doesn't send them there. He sent Jesus so they wouldn't go there. Men are not in hell because God's mad at them or angry at them. They're in hell because of the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ. God's greatest provision for man's sin that will take them to Sheol and finally to the great white throne judgment and the lake of fire. The Lord Jesus made this clear when he said he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me. How terrible it is to not trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. And this passage of Scripture opens up a, a new area altogether. The lost do go to a definite place. The Lord Jesus called it a place of torment in Luke 16, a place where the lost wait for judgment. Jesus, you know, spoke a lot about Luke 16. And again, the, 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 the parable of, of Luke 16, it's, you know, he says there was a well-dressed man, a rich man who lived every day in luxury. And laying at his gate was a poor man named Lazarus, just wanting scraps from the rich man's table. And then finally, the poor man died and he was carried by the angels to be Ab with Abraham in, in the bosom of Abraham. The rich man also died. He was buried and his soul went to the place of the dead, Sheol. 
There he was in torment, Jesus said. The rich man saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity on me. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue. He says, I'm in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, son, remember in your lifetime you had everything you wanted. Lazarus had nothing. Now Lazarus has been comforted and you are in anguish. And besides that, there's this great divide, this great you know, chasm, this, this, this you know, uh, big separation that separates us. Nobody can cross over from you to us or us to you. Then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send a, uh, 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 someone to my father's home, St. Lazarus to my father's home, because I have five brothers there. And I want to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. Notice he mentions it a place of anguish, a torment, and he mentioned that over and over. It's not a nice place to be. But Abraham said, look, Moses and the prophets warned them. Your brothers can read what Moses wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if somebody is sent, them, uh, sent to them from the dead, then they'll repent of their sin and turn to God. But Abraham said, hey, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to listen even if somebody rises from the dead. And we see that today. Jesus rose from the dead and people still don't believe in him. Some people say, hey, I know I'm going to stand before God. But when I do, then I'll get, in straight, I'll get things straightened out with him. <laughs> because, you know, I've been a pretty good person. Surprise. Hell's going to be filled with a lot of good people. But when they stand in the presence of the one who was crucified for them, they're going to find out that their insignificant good works didn't amount to much. And they're going to find out that they have, that, that they have a fallen nature. And that fallen nature, you have no capacity for God. You have no interest in him at all. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, 10 through 18. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. He says, as the scripture says, he says, no one is righteous. Not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. That pretty much eliminates anybody who thinks they're good. He says their talk is foul. Like the stench from an open grave, their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. That's the bottom line. They have no fear of God. What Paul describes here is the natural expression of the unsaved heart. The natural heart of man does not permit a life of righteousness. Verses 10 through 12 of, of Romans 3 expresses the character of humanity. And verses 13 and 14 of Romans 3 expresses their conversation. And verses eight, verse 18 expresses their lack of fear of God. The psalmist said in Psalm 36, 1 through 4, sin whispers to the wicked deep within their hearts. They have no fear of God at all. 
in their blind conceit. They can't see how wicked they really are. Everything they say is crooked and deceitful. They refuse to act wisely or do good. They lie awake at night, hatching sinful plots. Their actions are never good. They make no attempt to turn from evil. This is the life of the natural heart of man. The psalmist said in, uh, the, uh, the, uh, Solomon said in Proverbs 16, 6, he said, And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. That's how one departs from evil. All the sinful behavior, all the wickedness of man, is, it, it comes from the life of the natural heart of man. But to, be, to, to depart from evil, that requires a supernatural life that only God can give you. Paul said in Romans 8, 7 through 8, the sinful nature, notice the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will, he said. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. It's the natural heart of man that keeps him from pleasing God. So that being the case, where else could God put them? Other than Sheol, other than hell. Do you think when you get to heaven, there's going to be sinners there? Do you think he, God could take anybody to heaven with whom is, has rebelled against them or who's rebelling against them? This is a really important passage of Scripture to think about. God does not tolerate sin the tiniest bit. Chapter 32 now continues the lamentation. Verses 1 through 16 covers the lamentation for the fall of Pharaoh. <clears throat> the sixth message in the series of prophecies against Egypt characterizes Pharaoh and it pictures him as a sea monster. And it uses language similar to the earlier message that we saw in chapter 29. So let's begin with chapter 32 with verses 1 through 8. And it says, And it came to pass in the twelfth year, in the twelfth month, on the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and say to him, You are like, you are like a young lion among the nations. And you are like a monster in the seas, bursting forth in your rivers, troubling the waters with your feet and fouling the rivers. Thus says the Lord God, I will therefore spread my net, my net over you with a company of many people, and they will dry you up in my net. Then I will leave you on the land, and I will cast you out on the open fields and cause to settle on you all the birds of, heaven, of the heavens. And with you I will fill the, uh, fill the beasts of the whole earth. I will lay your flesh on the mountains and fill the valleys with your carcass. I will also water the land with the flow of your blood, even to the mountains, and the riverbeds will be full of you. When I put out your light, notice you're going to put out their lights, I will cover the heavens and make its stars dark. I will cover the sun with a lot of the cloud, and the moon shall not give her light. All the bright lights of the heavens I will make dark over you and bring darkness upon your land, says the Lord God." The lamentation or the expression of grief, grief here, the mourning was something that Ezekiel used you know, several times through the prophetic messages that he made against the nations. 
Egypt is compared to a young lion among the nations, verse 2 tells us. This was the view Egypt had of itself. But the lion was really a sea monster. The same description used in chapter 29, verse 3, to describe Pharaoh Hophra. Ezekiel announced the judgment of Pharaoh here, starting with verse 3. God said, I will spread my net over you. And then after being caught in the net, it says the sea monster would be dragged onto dry land and left for the birds of prey and the beasts of the field. It's as if God is saying, you know what? I'm going to pull you out and I'm going to move you to a place where you won't live in a palace. You'll find yourself on the same level with your subjects. And again, death really makes all things equal. The message meant that the people of Egypt would meet a violent end in a foreign land. And God says their flesh and their blood was going to fill the mountains and the valleys. Pharaoh's judgment would also be a part of the end times, day of the Lord. He would be snuffed out. He said he will put the light out. You know, he will be snuffed out or be extinguished like a shining star, according to verse 7 and 8. On the day of the Lord, Egypt, like all other nations, is going to be judged by God. And the description of the signs in the heavens makes us think of the future day of the Lord. Once again, Ezekiel explained that just as the fall of Assyria caused a shockwave to go through the nations, they were just, you know, they trembled, they were freaked out by it because they're so many dependent upon Egypt, so will the fall of Egypt. It will frighten the nations. But will they learn from this experience? Will they turn to the Lord God? No. They'll go right on sinning and rebelling against His truth. Verses 9 through 16. I will also trouble the hearts of many peoples when I bring your destruction among the nations into the countries which you have not known. Yes, I will make many peoples astonished at you and their, God, and their king shall be horribly afraid of you when I brandish my sword before them and they shall tremble every moment, every man for his own life in the day of your fall. For thus says the Lord God, the sword of the king of Babylon shall come upon you by the swords of the mighty warriors, all of them the most terrible of nations. I will cause your multitude to fall. They shall plunder the pomp of Egypt, and all its multitudes shall be destroyed. Also, I will destroy all its animals from beside its great waters. The foot of man shall muddy them no more, nor shall the hooves of animals muddy them. Then I will make their waters clear and make their rivers run like oil, says the Lord God. When I make the land of Egypt desolate, And the country is destitute of all that once filled it. When I strike all who dwell in it, then they shall know that I am the Lord. This is the lamentation with which they shall lament her. The daughters of the nations shall lament her. They shall lament for her, for Egypt, and for all her multitude, says the Lord God. So Egypt's description, I'm sorry, Egypt's destruction would bring distress among the nations who saw her destroyed. Ezekiel specifically made the identity clear in verse 11. He said the ruthless, mighty men of Babylon would shatter the pride of Egypt. The cattle would also be destroyed, and the water, probably from the Nile, wouldn't be available anymore. And with neither human or animals to disturb the water, it would flow smoothly like oil. And because of God's judgment on Egypt, they would know that He is the true and the living God. And then everyone would sing this funeral song there in verse 16. Now, verses 17 through 32 covers Pharaoh's condemnation to the pit. 
So let's begin with verses 17 through 25. They also went down to hell with it, with those slain by the sword, and those who were its strong arm dwelt in its, uh, in its shadows among the nations. To which of the trees... Oh no, I'm reading uh, verse 31. Sorry about that. Verse 17 and 25 of verse 32. That would be better. All right. It came to pass also in the twelfth year, on the fifteenth day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, wail over the multitude of Egypt and cast them down to the depths of the earth. Her, her and the daughters of the famous nations, with those who go down to the pit, whom do you surpass in beauty? Go down, be placed with the uncircumcised. They shall fall in the midst of those slain by the sword. She is delivered to the sword, drawing her and all her multitudes. The strong among the mighty shall speak to him out of the midst of hell. With those who help him, they have gone down. They lie with the uncircumcised slain by the sword. Assyria is there and all her company with their graves all around her, all of them slain, fallen by the sword. Her graves are set in the recesses of the pit. And her company is all around her grave, all of them slain by the fallen sword who caused terror in the land of the living. There is Elam and all her multitude, all around her grave, all of them slain, fallen by the sword, who have gone down uncircumcised to the lower parts of the earth, who caused their terror in the land of the living. Now they bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. They have set their bed in the midst of the slain with all her multitude, with her graves all around it all of them uncircumcised, slain by the sword. Though their terror was caused in the land of the living, yet they bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. It was put in the midst of the slain. This is Ezekiel's last message against Egypt. The message is kind of a review of the downfall of the past political powers with the conclusion that Egypt would join those who go down to the pit. He was going to join all the others that went down to the pit. <clears throat> this wasn't exactly a funeral, funeral song, but it was a wailing song. In other words, the mourners were to mourn Egypt going down into the grave and joining the uncircumcised nations that represent all others who have suffered the judgment of God, who experienced the judgment of God. The nations would recognize Egypt's arrival as a fulfillment of God's judgment against those it says, were killed by the sword, or who killed by the sword. Assyria was already in the pit, ready to receive Egypt, who had been overthrown by the Babylonians, and Elam, located east of, of Babylon. Elam had, uh, had its capital at Susa and was destroyed. And Jeremiah still recognized Elam as a power to be destroyed, but for all practical purpose, purposes, the nation was already dead. Verse 24 says, there is Elam and all her multitude all around her. You see, the body was put in the grave, but they have gone to another place, to Sheol, the unseen world, the place of the dead. Remember, our Lord Jesus called it the place of torment for those who are lost. The saved are in the section which he called Abraham's bosom in Luke 16. And then later to the repentant thief on the cross, he called it paradise. He told him, today you will be with me in paradise. Now verse 26 to 32 as we close the chapter. Verse 26 to 32. 
There are Meshach and Tubal and all their multitudes, with all their graves around it, all of them uncircumcised, slain by the sword. Though they cause their terror in the land of the living, they do not lie with the mighty, who are fallen of the, who are fallen of the uncircumcised, who have gone down to hell with their weapons of war. They have laid their swords under their heads, but their iniquities will be on their bones. Because of the terror of the mighty in the land of the living, yes, you shall be broken in the midst of the uncircumcised and lie with those slain by the sword. There's Edom, her kings and all of her princes, who despite their might and laid beside those slain by the sword, they shall lie with the uncircumcised and with those who go down to the pit. There are the princes of the princes of the north, all of them and all of the Sidonians who have gone down with the slain. In shame at the terror which they caused by their might, they lie uncircumcised with those slain by the sword and bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. Pharaoh will see them and be comforted over all his multitude. Pharaoh and all his army slain by the sword, says the Lord God. For I have caused my terror in the land of the living. And he shall be placed in the midst of the uncircumcised with those slain by the sword, Pharaoh and all his multitude, says the Lord God. So all of these nations went down to Sheol, went down to hell. Verses 26 to 32 in, in these verses are, are, are others that Pharaoh finds in Sheol. There's two other groups as, as the 26 begin, Meshach and Tubal. They were also in the pit. These two groups were older nations in Asia Minor, and they were known for their terror and their ruthlessness. These mighty warriors who had fallen, they are a reference to the mighty men of old that are described in Genesis 4-6 as Nephilim. Like these people and nations, Pharaoh would also go down into the pit as a result of God's judgment. Edom was also in the pit. And the appearance of Edom confirmed the earlier message of judgment in chapter 25. With Edom, it says, were the princes of the north and Sidonians. Now this refers to the Phoenician coastal towns where Tyre and Sidon were the main cities. All the nations mentioned here in the pit were those who had killed by the sword, referring to their cruelty. Pharaoh joined them because he too had killed by the sword. So God sent him to the pit to dwell with the uncircumcised who killed ruthlessly and randomly. So in closing, the message against the nations in Ezekiel chapter 25 through 32, they were originally delivered to the people of Judah. And even though the words written seem to be only for those particular nations, they are especially written for the people of Judah in Jerusalem and Babylon. And the messages are to serve at least three purposes. First, the message in chapters 25 through 32 reveal God's judgment against the nations that either mocked or helped in Jerusalem's fall. Secondly, as with both the, uh, the king of Tyre and the pharaoh of Egypt, God would throw them down from their self-elevated positions of power because there's no room for, for, for arrogance and pride in God's creation. And third, the messages are basically God, you know, kind of just dismantling or, or just undoing the so-called gods of the nations that they worship more than the, the creator of the universe. Okay, so he was again undoing the, 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 the gods of the nations, the God of Judah even, 
They started to wrongly trust. Judas started to wrongly trust in and the proclamation of, uh, that, that, that Yahweh is the one and only true God for all nations. They didn't believe in that. They, they were trusting the gods of, 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 the, of the heathens. And as, and as mentioned in the introduction to this section, the phrase that I am the Lord or, to, or know that I am the Lord, it, it, you find it 19 times. The phrase, know that I am the Lord, occurs 19 times. And the main reason for this message, these messages, is that everyone should come to know the Lord. One way or other, it's going to be through, again, our, our seeking Him out. You know, God drawing us to Him. Or it's going to be through judgment. And so, you know, again, every knee is going to bow. And every knee is going to confess either voluntarily or involuntarily. That, God is, that, that the Lord is God. And, and you know what? You don't, you don't want to find it in, in judgment because then it's going to be too late. doesn't matter how, how much you cry and scream and plead. It's, it's a done deal. You sealed your fate by rejecting Jesus Christ all the way to the end. So one day you're going to stand before him, whether it's good or bad. But the best thing is to come to him now. Come to him now while you can. Father, we come before you and we thank you so much for your word, Lord. And Father, we... God, we, we, we've been given so much We've been given so much, God. And Father, as the rich man who went to hell pleaded, send somebody to dip their, their, their finger in water that I may put it on my tongue because I'm in anguish, in a place of torment. It's a real place. It's not a place to take lightly or to mock. If you're here this, this evening and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and as we've gone through this study and especially the section when it spoke about hell and God's love and His grace in sending His Son so that we don't have to go there. If God's spoken to your heart tonight, and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but, but, but you want to receive Him, because the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart, and you know you need Christ for salvation. If you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you put up your hand right now and We'll pray after we finish. Anybody? Anybody at all want to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior? Father, we come before you and Lord, we just thank you for your spirit. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you sent us, Lord, Jesus Christ, for our salvation, Lord. 
And Father, because the, the nature of man does not love God, cannot become friends with God or have a relationship with God. Only through the birth of the Spirit, Lord, one who's born again. So Father, we thank you and God, may you bless your people, Lord, as they go their way now and watch over them, protect them, Lord, and uh, we just thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.